Today is September 2nd. Happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. Uh, 2018, I'm going to share the title with you of our sermon in just a moment. Today is going to continue to be a fun day. We're going to rejoice in our Savior and realize that which Christ has done for us. On Wednesday evening, come on, raise your hand if you were here Wednesday evening. Goodness gracious, we heard from Ibrahim and Eve Zachary. With a sermon entitled, In Over Your Head, we learned about our priorities, hearing and obeying and making every effort, that the genuineness of our faith may be realized in what is going on. We've had people saved, spirit-filled, and set free on, on Thursday evening in people's homes here in our church. On Friday evening, we continued to learn how to war rightly as the body of Christ, the very army of the risen Savior. While our nation has chosen this weekend to celebrate the American worker by giving us time to relax... And refrain from work. Today we're going to engage with what Jesus Christ, our head, has purposed for us. Amen? Today we continue with our big and bold series with our sermon entitled, Big Attitude, Bold Leadership. Come on, everybody say, Big Attitude. Big attitude. And bold leadership. bold leadership. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6. Now, did you hear and did you sense the overwhelming, victorious attitude that Jesus Christ was trying to encourage us with this morning? Through the worship time, through the words that were given, you heard things like, stand firm and do not retreat. That God has advanced us to the position that we're in. That He is going to help us conquer our enemies, defeat our foes. He is, in fact, going to provide for us and go before us to provide victory. Man, with that, that's, uh, if you didn't catch that, we've already had a word from the Lord. He said things like, He who is set free is free indeed. That we're supposed to pick up our praise. That we're not supposed to conceal in our hearts what it is that the Lord is doing. Man, that's just before we get to the word today. That's an incredible thing that we have here. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 6. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, everybody say little while, while. you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. So let me help you with this sentence here. These have come so that uh, the proven genuineness of your faith These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The reason that you are, that we go through the difficulties that we go through is to prove our faith genuine and that it may result. Everybody say result. Far too many people in the body of Christ, far too many people in churchianity have decided that we do things like faith just for the sake of faith. We talk about our faith so that it is proved genuine and it will result in something. Today we want to encourage you that your life should be resulting in something. That your walk with the Lord as you heard directly from the heavens in our worship time, in unscripted scriptures, in unscripted words, in other tongues, and translated into our language that we might understand. You heard from the heavens. We're not supposed to hide these things in our heart. Your faith is not intended to be a personal matter only. Wow. It's not supposed to just be something internal that we have, that we keep, that only we know about. We're supposed to have a genuineness in our faith. It's supposed to result in what? 
in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Come on, we are a church that wants to present and result in something. I don't want to work and not have results. Isn't that the most, re- the most uh, difficult thing in our lives? You, you work hard at something and you don't feel like you do any, you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. You know, that's actually a form of torture that they've used in wars. And here's what I mean. You could be a prisoner of war and they would have prisoners do the most meaningless task. Move a pile of bricks from one area to the other. But you know what they found? Even the accomplishment of moving it from one area to another for no purpose served a purpose of its own. So the most despicable thing that they could think of was to have them move things and then move them right back. And then move things and move it right back. You know what that produced in the men who were captured there? Prisoners of war. It produced a hopelessness in them. It took their very hope for life away from them. And yet that's what so many people in Christianity want to do. Come to church. Why? Just so you can come to church. Come on Sunday. And then come on Wednesday. Why? So that you can come back on Sunday. Why? So that you can come back on Wednesday. And we wonder why people are hopeless. It's because they don't have any results of their faith. We're going to have results of our faith in this place. We are working for something that is from the heavens and it is worth us moving forward. That's what I kept hearing today. The overwhelming victory that God wants us to have in this place. We're going we're gonna to awaken something in us today. We're going to rejoice. We're not going to have our heads hanging down by the end of this service. We're going to have our heads and our hands lifted to the heavens. Amen. That we might show Him our faith. And that it might result in something with our life. Come on, don't you want you to have your life produce something for the King? Amen. Goodness gracious. I want to directly attack the wrong attitudes that are so prevalent and mainstream today. We are definitely a people with attitudes. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you know you got an attitude. Come on, turn to that other neighbor you didn't want to talk to say, I know you got an attitude. <laughs> Romans 12 commands us something. It commands us. Everybody say commands. commands. When you look at the Bible and it's clearly giving you an instruction, don't just think that the Bible is suggesting it to you. That perhaps if you should get around to it today, maybe you should consider this as one of your options. The Bible commands us not to be conformed to the pattern, the mold, the attitude of this world. Rather, we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our attitudes in Christ. Have you conformed to the attitude of this world? Have you believed that you're supposed to be quiet about your faith, reserved in your worship, and neutered in your evangelism? I mean, it's a personal faith, right? How can you challenge me? Because it's not just a personal faith. It's one that has to be proven genuine, that it might result in something fantastic. Have you fallen prey to the concepts of don't offend anybody? I mean, don't really engage in this thing because after all, love is supposed to win. Yeah, love will win, but it's not defined by the way the world defines it. Love demands that we confront. Love demands that we engage with people. Love demands that we not remain silent. It demands that of us. 
It is a godly attitude to look and see that if you were seeing a problem before you, perhaps you're the one that's supposed to engage it and fix it. That is a godly attitude for us to have. Wow, that sounds so militant. Yeah, it just sounds just like God. Don't offend, don't engage, don't you dare cause waves. My God, we've raised a generation of men who don't want to cause waves and they're not causing and making anything else either. They're not making a difference in their own homes. They're not even making a difference in their own minds. No wonder the men in our world are so frustrated. You're designed to be a warrior. You're designed to stand and to kick down the gates of hell that will not prevail against you. How about we raise up a group of men in this place? Let's start here. I may not be able to impact the whole world yet today, Linton, but we're going to start right here. And we are raising up men in this place who will kick down the gates of hell. I'm saying cause waves, Assad. Cause a lot of waves where you are. Because that is the attitude of a real believer. Is that we have to be motivated. Don't you dare fall prey and conform to this world that says, Cody, just be a little bit more quiet about your faith. I mean, you might offend that guy who's sitting next to you. Yeah, he's condemned and going to hell. Our goal is not offense. Our goal is to do exactly what God has called us to do. In an unhindered unrestricted kind of way. The enemy does not mind you as you state your creeds of what you believe. He minds you when your deeds start getting active and match your creeds. We are not against creeds here. We study this Word of God that it may direct our thoughts, that it may direct our attitudes, that it may direct everything about my life. I can assure you I don't think rightly about everything. I get in the Word that I might start thinking rightly about it. I don't have a thought run to the Scripture and ask the script and hope the Scripture can confirm what I'm already thinking. That's making me my own God. We're running to the Word. We're asking of the Spirit that He might instruct our hearts. Lord, I feel this way. Is this the way that you feel about this? Lord, I'm nervous to speak to my coworker. I don't think you're ever nervous about anything. Lord, I want to have a boldness that reflects a big attitude in Christ. We're not those who are going to sit back resting on our blessed assurance and wait for whoever knows what we're supposed to be waiting for. Some other thing at some other time on some other day that will actually be, we'll be brave. I'm planning on being brave, but that'll be sometime in the future. How about you demonstrate that big attitude today? How about you You rise up and you let the very Spirit of God come alive in you, Brandon, that you have confidence that you can be bold and strong for the Lord your God is with you. This is what we're talking about today. Our attitude can be revived as we match it with Scripture, what the Scripture has so clearly mandated, that our precious faith may be proven genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. You tell I'm a little excited about today? Okay, good. You need to be excited with me. Philippians chapter 2. Come on with me. Don't make me come off the stage. I'm telling you. My mustache is ready for a fight today. I don't know. Come on. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 5. A very familiar passage, but I want us to go over it together here. And I think we really have some good things that the Lord is going to show us through His Word. Verse 5 says, Your attitude, everybody say, My attitude. attitude. 
should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. All right. Now, before we go on, we have many people in here who are, man, you guys are just, y'all are Bible scholars. We've read this passage and some of you are going, ah, Philippians 2. He's going to talk about a chiastic structure. Nope. Not going to do it. If you don't know what that is, come find us this afternoon in our house and we will gladly lay it out before you. I want you to focus on this as if you're reading it for the very first time. Maybe as if someone is saying it to you for the very first time. (laughs) It says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here on the screen, this is a, and not, it's, we normally read out of a 1984 NIV because that's what I grew up on, and so I'm comfortable with that. Our screens have an NIV that's a 2011. If you ever see any differences in language, it's because of the newer updated version. Here it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What kind of attitude? Do you think, when you think of Jesus Christ, do you think of attitude? I'm speaking about our risen Lord and Savior, but our Savior had an attitude. Because we're supposed to reflect it. We're supposed to actually have the same attitude that He had. Well, let's see what His attitude is. Verse 6, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't take His position and His authority. He didn't hold on to it. He actually gave it up. What about you? How's your attitude? Anybody ever felt disrespected by somebody else? Somebody else come up and say something to you and you're like, you want to see attitude? (laughs) Who are you talking to? Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God, the heavens incarnate came and said, I don't hold on to my position that is above everything. I am not grasping onto it, trying to hold on to it with a death grip. He let it go that He might accomplish the will of the Father. How quickly can you release your will, your position, your authority, your thoughts that you might accomplish the will of the Lord? That is the beginning of having the same attitude that Christ had. Look at verse 7. But made Himself nothing. It's one thing not to hold on to something. It's another thing to let go of something and to take the lowest seat. It's one thing to not hold on to something. It's another thing to make yourself nothing. I don't just mean that he made himself less. The Bible doesn't say he made himself less. It says that he made himself nothing. He decreased to the point where it was only the Father seen in him. For us to accomplish this just like Jesus, we must continue to decrease until we're what? Nothing. Until we've vanished, until we have been lost in Christ, until the only place that you can find Wade Sutherland is somewhere tucked away in Christ. Because he doesn't even, he's not even there anymore. Those thoughts that he had have been made nothing. Those desires that I had to have greatness on my own have been made nothing. What about you today? Are you working on that? Are you releasing those positions of authority and power that you want to have and letting Christ be made in you? That you might be nothing. Boy, what a crazy attitude to have. You ever heard anybody pray? You ever heard a little kid come down the altar? Dear God, I pray that today I'm nothing. I've never heard it. 
What do we normally pray about? Oh, it's okay, deacon. I mean, Zadok. What, what do we, hey, Lord, that you'll help me. That you'll, yeah, we're gonna, he's going to do that. But what we're talking about here is he made himself nothing. What is the next phrase? He took on the very nature of a servant. And some of them, in some of these things, in some uh, translations I've read, it was kind of, it says it was the disguise of a servant. I really don't like that translation at all. It was under the guise of being a servant. No, no, no. He took on the very nature of a servant. After we've died to ourselves, you know what we can do? We can rightly serve others. After we've been moved, we've been moved in our hearts, we've received his reconciliation, what do we then become? We immediately become ministers of reconciliation. After we've received from the Lord, we can give to others what he has given to us. Anybody in this place ever experienced any freedom from the Lord? Anybody need some freedom today? Amen. When we receive freedom, what do we turn and do? We can serve others and help them find freedom, the same freedom that we now have. Once we receive His light, we let our our light shine by our good deeds, by our service to others that they may see Him and glorify Him. Once we're living a life that's worthy of the Lord, we can please our righteous God by bearing fruit in every act of service that we do. Once we have been rightly shepherded by the great shepherd, He equips us with every good thing for doing His will. My goodness. Do you have the attitude of Christ? Do you have the attitude that lets go? That humbles yourself? That makes yourself nothing and takes on the nature of a servant? Being made in human likeness. Now in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. I thought he just made himself nothing. Yep. Oh, I thought he was already a servant. Yes, yes he is. And you know what you have to consistently do if you're going to have the attitude of Christ? You have to humble yourself. You do realize that's something that the Lord instructs us to do. He says, humble yourself before the Lord. We've got to know how to humble ourselves. We know that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We know that first we submit, then we could resist. Golly. Such powerful verses that we all think we know, but we must operate in. That each one of us in this place, it's not good enough for me today to have some of you hear this word and decide that it applies to you. It's not good enough for me. It's important to me that every one of us understand exactly what Christ did. If he humbled himself, we must humble ourselves. Submission to your husbands. Submission to leaders. Submission to each other in the body of Christ is a powerful, powerful tool in the kingdom. My God, it's so powerful. And we all think it's, we're all worried to have ourselves humbled like that. First Peter five verses five through seven says this or five through, yeah, five through seven. I'm sorry. It says this young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older young men in the room. Where you at young men? Raise your hand if you're a young man. I was just, I was just curious. I had, could be, I guess that could be technically every man. If Moses was 80 when he started his ministry, every man in the room is still a young man. Young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, come on, say all of you. All of you. Boy, don't you love the Bible's talking to young men unless the rest of us tune out for a second. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. Come on now. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You know what humbling causes you to do? Look at the very next phrase in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you can humble yourself, you know what you do? You have the ability to get rid of those things that are causing you anxiety. So if you're prideful, you know what you do? You're holding on to the very things that are causing you anxiety. Anybody ever experienced anxiety? This week? Today? Last year? I mean, right. We've all experienced anxiety. We humble ourselves just as Christ did. But it wasn't just humility. Look at the rest of verse back in Philippians 2. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Man, that obedience is what we want to absolutely go after. First John 5 tells us that. If we're going to love the Lord, we're going to be obedient to what he says. So when Jesus Christ is obedient to death on a cross, he's saying that I've loved the Father in a perfect kind of way. It's driven out all fear and he's operated in exactly what the Lord has for him. Man, when you think of the attitude of Christ, is that really what it looks like to you? Can you see the steely resolve when we're talking about humility and making yourself nothing? Do you think of strength and power or do you think of becoming completely relaxed? Don't we think of being relaxed? Don't we think of being passive? What we're dealing with here is not a passivity. You think it was passive for Jesus to relinquish his place from the heavens? You think it was some sign of weakness that he made himself nothing when he is in fact all in all? You think it was easy for him to take on the the place of a man and become a servant when he's the ruler of creation, when he can speak and something can come into existence? You don't think that took steely resolve in him? Why do we, why do we get the impression? Why is the tenor in the room right now when we're talking about Philippians 2 to go, huh. I want to have the attitude of Christ. Huh. Whoa. I decided to do this a little bit differently for you today. You guys are such Bible scholars. You guys love the word. And if you're new here, if you stick around here, if you're really going to be part of us, you're going to fall in love with the word too. You're going to really just love what the word has to say. It's going to challenge you and correct you and teach you and everything else. I want to look at some uh, unusual attitudes in the Bible. I want to do some unusual attitudes with you today. Are y'all ready for some unusual attitudes? Come on now. If you're married, look at your spouse and just wink at him. Just wink at him. Unusual attitudes. All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 10. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 10, and we're going to look at an unusual attitude that Moses had. Moses, one of the mightiest leaders that our planet has ever seen, led millions of people out of bondage and into into freedom. The birth of the nation of Israel came under his watch as a leader. Mike, we're still talking about Moses today. Exodus chapter 10. Are you with me? In verse 24. It says this. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, "You." By the way, he's speaking to the leader of 
the world at the time. Pharaoh, a demigod in their, in their understanding, one who had been empowered by their gods to be the ruler. Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. Come on now. Not a hoof. He was uncompromising in what he was driving for. Moses was an uncompromising leader, and he showed a big old attitude while he was demonstrating some bold leadership. Not a hoof. Not a hoof is to be left behind. Some of you here today need to be transformed by the renewing of your attitude and decide that not a hoof will be left behind. How is your attitude? Have you decided that you're just going to, there are certain areas in your life that you're just not going to win in? You're going to sit here in this church and you're going to go, yeah, we're going to win. We're going to bring our wife and our kids with us, but there's going to be some hooves that are just left behind. There are going to be some areas in my life, young men, where I just can't seem to get the victory. Hey, look at me. Not a hoof is to be left behind. You need to have a big attitude that says, not a hoof. Lord, if you said this to me, I want every bit of what you said. Lord, if you said that me and my family would be saved, and there's not one saved in my family, I'm going to go after it until that happens. Not a hoof is to be left behind. Have you settled into the idea that compromise is inevitable? Have you settled into that idea that, of course, no man can really stay holy and pure in today's society? Come on, pastor. That was like at least a hundred years ago. Really? You think it was any less? You think it was any easier back then? Where have you compromised in your thinking? And the Lord is saying, you need to change your attitude today and say, not a hoof will be left behind. Those places that you need to have victory in, you are going to keep fighting until you see the victory. You're not going to leave a hoof behind. You see, but what, what went on in the story before the verses that we got to was a, uh, a bargaining of sorts between Pharaoh and Moses. No, you can't go. Another plague. Okay, you can go, but not the women and children. Another plague. Okay, well, you and the women and children can go, but you got to leave your stuff. No, 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 no. Not a hoof. Not a hoof, Daniel. We're not going to leave a hoof behind. We're going to have everything that God has for us to have. Come on, y'all say it with me. Say, that's a big attitude. attitude. Say it again. Say, that's a big attitude. And it produces bold leadership. He's standing before the ruler of the, of the world. I was going to say of the free world. He's standing before the leader of the world. going, yeah, we're not going to leave a hoof behind. When the enemy comes in and tries to convince you of some lie in your own life, you look at him and you say, not a hoof. We're going to go after this thing and we're going to watch victory. Unless you just think this was Moses, since we're supposed to have the same attitude that Christ had. Let's look at Luke chapter 13. Moses showed it to us. He laid it out there. This is the same attitude that we're supposed to have. Luke 13 and verse 32. Luke 13, 32 says this. He replied. Um, by the way, the he that replied here is Jesus. You go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today, and I'll do it again tomorrow, and on the third day, I'm going to reach my goal. 
hey, if you, lest you think that Jesus walked around and there was only, you know, fairy dust and rainbows that he encountered, while he was the Prince of Peace, he encountered conflict every day in every way. But he was victorious. You know what these men are trying to do? Hey, you need to come over here. You need to, you need to, they're trying to kill you. You go tell that fox. By the way, that's not a compliment. That is not a compliment from Jesus. He is not politely saying, you go tell that fine gentleman over there. He's saying, you go tell that weasel. You go tell that snake in the grass that I'm going to do what I'm doing today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And on the third day, I'm going to have done exactly what I wanted to do. What's your attitude like? You need to have the same attitude as Christ. When God has instructed you in something, you know what you need to do, Chris Resor? Keep going. Yep, you're going to keep trying to stop me. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I'm going to keep doing it until it's completed. Yeah, the enemy's trying to steal and break down your marriage. You know what you're going to do? You're going to follow the words and the principles here. And we're going to do it today. We're going to do it tomorrow. And we're going to do it the day after that. You know what? We're going to get to where we need to get. Not a hoof is going to be left behind. You go tell that fox what I'm telling you. We got to get a little bit more attitude in the right kind of godly ways in this place. And I don't just mean while you're sitting here. That's one thing for us to be encouraged while you're sitting here. What I am driving at today is for you to change your spec, your perspective and let your mind be transformed by his word that you might have a different attitude when you go forth. If we are going to be victorious, what's the only thing that will keep us from being victorious? Us. We can't lose this thing unless we just let the enemy trick us into thinking that we don't have the power. Come on, did God really say you were going to have the right kind of marriage? Come on, did God really promise you that you could heal a broken marriage or a broken relationship? Come on now, did God really say you can overcome your past sins? Yes, yes he did. You go tell that fox that we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to keep being righteous in our actions. We're not going to, <laughs> we are not going to let down not for one day in this thing. You go tell that fox. Man, I love that Jesus Christ had a big attitude. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. Let's see another big attitude. I hope this is making sense to you. I'm having a good time. I hope you are. If you're going to have a bad attitude today, then you're going to watch me have a really good attitude up here. Second Kings chapter three and verse 14. It says this, Elisha. So we're going from a law, the man who encompassed the law to Elisha here, a major prophet. It says, as surely as the Lord almighty lives, whom I serve. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Come on now. I know y'all, uh, y'all, y'all, are, y'all are with me today, right? When you think of attitude, are you thinking of Elisha saying, uh, by the way, what's the context of this story? He's talking to three kings. We three kings. No, not that one. He's talking to three kings and he looks at up two of them and says... You guys are lucky that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is here. If he wasn't here, I would literally walk away from you two kings. I would not talk to you. I would not pay any attention to you. I would go back home 
Because you two aren't even worth my time. But this guy I kind of like. Before kings. Come on, somebody say that's a big attitude. If Moses was uncompromising in what he did, Elisha is showing someone who is unconcerned with earthly priorities. Unconcerned with earthly priorities. That's a big attitude. Come on, say it with me. Say, that's a big attitude. It produced some kind of bold leadership in Elisha. Are you in the habit of being moved by earthly priorities? Oh, of course not, Pastor. Hang on, don't answer that one too quickly. Have you become worried about people's opinions or even their feelings more than holding true to the commands of the Lord? Have you failed from engaging someone out in public, sharing your faith? Have you failed to do that because you felt intimidated to share your faith? We have the answer. If they don't like it, it shows where they're standing. We have to be moved with the right kind of attitude that we might move upon them. You keep looking at the circumstances and thinking that the outcome is the same thing as whether you're being victorious or not. Your obedience to Christ makes you victorious. If I engage with someone sharing my faith and they don't receive Christ, I did not fail. I was victorious. We're going to let the Lord sort that out and we're not going to, we're going to go ahead and work through this, but we've got to engage in this. We have got to do this. That's one thing when I'm talking about a guy at a gas station or in a convenience store or at a coffee shop. What about the people that you're supposed to be engaging in and fixing things in your own home? Have you decided that you have an earthly priority of some false peace that you're trying to keep in your home? I don't want to have an argument. That's not very godly. I mean, I might stir up and make some waves if I do that. Go make some waves. Go get your house in order. Go get yourself in order. Do whatever it takes to go after the Lord with all of your heart. Throw away your phone. Throw away your TV. We don't care. You're going to tell me that the TV is more important than you following what the Lord is saying? Delete Facebook off of your phone, people. If that's creating problems for you, really? A little Facebook is going to keep you from fulfilling your will with God? Don't tell me we have earthly priorities that we, that we are concerned about. No, if I was standing before three kings, you can't even talk to your wife, right? You can't even handle your kids in your house. What are you talking about? Amen. We're supposed to have a big attitude. Come on, say, that's a big attitude. I stung myself when I said that. Ow. My goodness. Are you responding to people based on earthly priorities? Have you decided that what people think of you is more important than what the God of all creation thinks about you? My goodness. Come on, let's have the right kind of attitude in this place today. The same attitude. You know what? Not only did Elisha show this, let's turn to Luke chapter 23. Let's see what Jesus did in a like manner. 
come on, we're, we're helping. We're going to get the right attitude. We're going to get the right attitude today. We're going to have a big attitude in Christ that will produce bold leadership in our homes. It will get us moving in the direction that God has for us. It is designed to give us life. We will be transformed by this big attitude. In Luke chapter 23, let's look at verse 8. Luke 23 in verse 8, it says this, When Herod saw Jesus, Herod, a ruler of that day, he was greatly pleased. Oh, that's nice. He was happy to see Jesus. Why? Because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. For what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracles. Oh, you guys, you guys go to that church? Yeah, I'll come to church with you. I'm happy to see Jesus. I mean, maybe he'll even do something for me. I've heard that Jesus is a really nice guy. I've heard that Jesus loves me almost as much as I love me. That's great. Fantastic. It's good news. Oh, it's the good news of the gospel. He loves me almost as much as I love me. Verse 9. He plied him with many questions. And Jesus told him everything he needed to hear because he was worried about his feelings. But Jesus gave him no answer. Wow. How's that for your... <laughs> for your theological understanding. Jesus didn't even think it was necessary to give him a reply. How's your attitude? Do you feel it necessary to reply to everybody and everything at every, every whim that they're throwing at you? Perhaps the enemy can use that to keep you distracted all day long. Perhaps sometimes we should go in our prayer closet and just close the door and pray. And not be bothered by every beep, buzz, and ding on our phones. If Jesus is trying to change our attitude today, let's let Him change our attitude. Let's let Him work things out in all of us. That we might please our Heavenly Father. And that He might give us the victory. Maybe it's that we're so concerned with these things, and that's why we're not seeing the victory that we want in our lives. Maybe that's why we can preach a very, very bold message but not see the power of God in our homes, in our lives. I'm, I'm trying to help us to get the right attitude. I'm trying to help us to have the big attitude that will cause Christ to be made manifest in our lives. We are the victorious church of the living King. Quit going around and letting every little whim distract you. Quit hanging your head because of the defeat that you keep suffering every day. You know what will cause you to raise your head? To be victorious in what you're doing. To have an overcoming, conquering kind of spirit. I don't even have in our list today, Romans 8, you are more than conquerors. I don't even have it. I'm not even going to mention it. Some of y'all got that. You are more than conquerors. We are a a group of overcoming people here. And if you want to be a part of this, it's not just about you walking in the door and sitting in our seats. It's about you engaging with the King of all creation. Letting Him change you. Letting Him transform you. Getting the same attitude that He had. And if yours isn't the same, then you stop what you're doing and you make it right and you have the same attitude. 
that says it's not acceptable for me to keep getting defeated in the same area again and again. If I have Christ living in me, He is the overcomer. And He is inside of me. And I will overcome. Come on now, we got to have a big attitude. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Man, I love the book of Nehemiah. I look at it for so many different things. And in this case, we're talking, we've gone from Moses, who was uncompromising. We've seen Elisha, who was unconcerned with earthly priorities. And now we're going to Nehemiah. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6, and let's look at verse 11. Say there when you're there. Come on, I, I love this verse. Man, you ought to put this somewhere. You ought to have this as one of your stones that you have in your pocket. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his own life? I will not go. Nehemiah was unshakable because he knew who he was. I'm going to say it again because you didn't respond and that's okay. Because it was good. So I'm going to revisit it here. Nehemiah was unshakable because he understand, he understood exactly who he was. Should a man like me stop what I'm doing? Now doesn't that sound, and that sounds great when we're reading it there and we're like, yeah. How many times have you had an opportunity to say that to somebody? Hey, why don't you come on over here? Shouldn't you calm down a little bit? Should a man like me be deterred from what I'm doing? Or is it that we're not really sure what a man like me is supposed to be? And so we walk around not able to say this. It is is a great statement. Every man in here should feel, just feel excited on the inside to go, yeah, should a man like me, I'll tell you something. The reason that Nehemiah could say that was because he understood who he was and exactly what God called him to do. So he stood up and said, you cannot distract me again. You are constantly coming against me. Should a man like me run away? Do I even have the option to run? Come on, man. Are you, are you hearing me? Should you even have the option to run? No. That's not what Christians do. That's not what real men of God do. We do not run. We say, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? What an interesting thought. What a very, very interesting thought for us here today. Should a man like me, should I go, because I love the Lord, should I run into the church that I might find a place of safety? Should, should I run away from what God has really called us to do? Sit in a pew for 20 years and not really do anything because I'm around a lot of people who are? Should a man like me run away and find safety in the temple? Goodness gracious. We come into this house that we might get energized. That we can have a huddle and go, guys, it's okay. You can keep doing it. Keith, you're doing a great job. Keep going, man. We get together so that we can encourage each other. We can feel the Spirit of God move. And then we break the huddle and we go out and do what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is not found exclusively here. 
This is where we get ready to go perform out there what we are practicing in here. This is our practice room. We encourage each other and be like, man, let's do this. Well, they're doing it. Gabriel's going to go on a mission trip. I can go on a mission trip. They're moving. I'm seeing their marriage be healed. Our marriage can be healed. He's overcoming his sinful ways. I can overcome in my sinful ways. She's getting blessed and everything. I can get, we, this is why we get together. Should a man like, should men and women like us run away? We know the answer to this. Nor should you go hide in a religious activity to not have to engage with real life. Goodness gracious. This is what Nehemiah is showing that he is unshakable. Somebody say, that's a big attitude. It's producing bold leadership in us. You know, Jesus dealt with the exact same problem. Turn to John chapter 8. Turn to John chapter 8. Let's look at verse 54. John 8, 54. This is Jesus speaking. It says this. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Wow. Y'all were turning there. I'm going to go ahead and... Hey, we're family, right? I'm not performing for you. You got the wrong guy up here if you want somebody to perform for you. There's no way that this church is raising up sages on stages. We're family. Would you read it again with me and pay attention to it this time? Amen. John 8, 54. Say there when you're there. there. You know why we say there, right? It's not just because we found it in the Bible. It's because we're trying to have our hearts ready to receive what it says. So say there when you're there. there. Amen. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Out of all people who should be able to glorify themselves and it means something, it would be Jesus. My Father, whom you claim as your God, golly, is the one who glorifies me. Seeking your own glory is a worthless exercise. Not even Jesus sought his own glory. He said, if he did, it would be worthless. How much more us? Look at verse 55. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Somebody say that's a big attitude. Who was it that said this again? It was Jesus the Christ. Yeah, I know God. You clearly don't know him. If I glorified myself, glorified myself in me, but he glorifies me. By the way, if I said that I didn't know him, if I tried to play less than what I really am, isn't Jesus saying, should a man like me run away? <laughs> if I try to put myself lower so that you might feel more comfortable, I'd be a liar like you. How's your attitude? Do you feel like you've got to make yourself less to make the other people around you more comfortable? Husbands in this church, men in this church, if you have got a wife who is a strong, godly woman, 
We do not want her to have to say that she doesn't know the Lord as much as she knows. We don't want her to have to live lower than what she is. We just want you to live strong enough to lead her. We want the women in this church to be the most godly, capable, beautiful women because of their quiet spirits and gentle, their gentle and quiet spirits. We want you to be amazing. And husbands, we want you to lead them. We want you to have children that will go further than you, but we want you to lead them well. Jesus says, if I said I didn't know him, if I made myself less, it would serve no one. I'd be just a liar. Should a man like me run away? Should a woman like you run? Come on now. Let's not run away from what the Lord is doing. Let's have a big attitude. Somebody say, that's a big attitude. It produces bold leadership in us. You can do this because Christ is with you. He's the Lord himself spent time this morning during the worship time to encourage us. Didn't he? I'm with you. I will give you victory. Don't you run away. You stand up. I'll be with you. God will be with you. He will be with you. He's giving you victory. Then what are we doing already backing down? Because we're used to it and we need an attitude adjustment. Anybody ever got an attitude adjustment? Y'all know what that is? Yeah, back in my day, that was a spanking from my father. What you need is an attitudinal adjustment. And he would find a belt. If I was at my grandma's house, she'd make me go get a switch, a stick off of a tree, and just, I'd try to get some little one that I knew would break. Uh, Go get me another one. Literally had to go get the weapon that was going to be implemented to provide my discipline. What a godly thing that happened to me when I was a kid. God disciplines us because he loves us. He's trying to get us with the right attitude. We could go on and on. I want to share a few more with you. Genesis chapter 14. We're going we're gonna to quickly go through some of these because I have something yet that I want to bless you with. I have something yet that I have left that I want to bless you with. Genesis chapter 14. Look at verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. Well, that's pretty serious. That I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. You know what a big attitude is? Big attitude is that you're going to trust God for every ounce of your provision and that you're going to work to make sure that no one else can get glory where God is deserving of glory. I mean, it's just them trying to give me a gift, right? I mean, it's okay. I mean, that's kind of nice and flattering. They want to give me something. Perhaps that's the enemy's tool to change you and get you in the wrong attitude. Perhaps someone being generous to you is not What you need to, what you think that you need more money? You think that you need more resources? How about you trust that the Lord will provide every bit of it? And that you're doing it in a way that will only bring Him glory. No one else gets glory. No other man, no other thought, no other program, no other design gets glory. Only God can get glory inside of this life. Come on, somebody say that's a big attitude. 
that's producing bold leadership in us. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And verse 14. It says this. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheaves, sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Let me ask you a few questions here. What do you need to shake the dust off of? Do you need to shake the dust off of your feet from some things? Some old encounters? The remnants of past failures, difficulties, and people that you need to move on from? It is telling. We've actually had someone that were speaking with Pastor Matthew and I at his house. And we said, brother, we are praying and right now we feel like you need to get rid of this cell phone. This cell phone, there's something that you're not telling us. You need to go get a dumb phone. And the man said, no, I'm not going to do that. We said, this is, this is not an option. If you want us to pastor you. And by the way, this is a, a unique thing that we're talking about here. It was something that was from the heavens in that moment. If you want us to pastor you, then if you can't take care of a cell phone, then you're surely not going to listen when we actually have to do something difficult with you. So we're not going to pretend you need to get rid of this phone. <laughs> no. So you're going to choose your phone over this church. I'm going to shake the dust off and we're going to move on. Pastor, that's harsh. No, I'm trying to have the attitude that Jesus Christ tells us to have. What in your life has been destructive? What in your life are you still holding on to? Oh, it may not be your phone, but it may be thoughts. It may be, it may be different things that is attaching you. And the Lord is saying, just shake the dust off. Get free from that. Goodness gracious. Get rid of that and move on. How are you going to have the right kind of attitude if you're still covered in the dust of the sinful things that every time you look down at yourself, you're like, yeah, I remember that. Get rid of that. As Christians, sometimes we only focus on the part of being innocent as a dove. We miss the concept of having enough of the attitude of Christ to be shrewd as well. Don't be naive about your walk with the Lord. Don't be, um, don't be dumb enough to keep hanging around the same sin and think that you're going to be okay. That's the most foolish thing that I can imagine. Be shrewd enough to understand there are some things that we are supposed to stand and fight. There are other things that the Word tells us to get ourselves out of the way. Flee sexual immorality. Flee greed. Flee. You're supposed to flee some things. you got to be shrewd enough to know what I'm supposed to stand there and fight and what might be stronger than me and I need to go run and get some help from the Lord. I'm not retreating. I'm just going to get a better advantage so I can beat them on, on better ground. Amen. Come on now. We have to be shrewd enough. Turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. I'm just showing you big attitudes that the Bible has. Big old attitudes. Joshua 5 
in verse 13. It says this, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. By the way, Joshua is in his 80s. He sees a guy standing with a sword, not just in his, not just sheathed, but standing with a sword in his hand. So you know what Joshua does? I think I'm going to go talk to this guy. I'm Joshua. I might be 80 something years old, but that dude with the sword, I ain't afraid of him at all. Boom. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Listen to the response. Neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Anybody ever be tried to be bold for the Lord? You realize that you made a mistake. I will pray for this person and they will get healed. Except that the Lord didn't want that. So now I feel bad. Joshua is actually encountering the commander of the Lord's army with a drawn sword. Are you for me or for our enemies? This is me being bold. Should a man like me, I'm staying my ground. Yeah, I'm for neither you nor your enemy. I'm for the, I'm for the Lord. Look how Joshua responds. If you want to have a big attitude, this is how you should respond. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. When you try to do something bold for the Lord and you realize that you're actually working against the Lord, you know what a big attitude is? Fall on your face and ask, Lord, what message do you have for me? You're trying to tell me something. I can sense it. My great prophetic ability has arisen and I can tell that you are trying to tell me something as I'm laying face down. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we should do. You should be bold enough to go and not be afraid of anybody and realize when it's the Lord, you better change your position. He went from bold to laying flat on his face. Both are big attitudes. Both are attitudes that we're supposed to have. We're going to stand strong and we're going to fight. Oop. No, we're not going to fight against you, Lord. Come on, that's nice when we're talking about Joshua and an angel, right? Come on, husbands. You're going to go be bold and try to lead your wife? What happens when you mess up? Hey, I messed up. Fall on your face before the Lord and hear from Him. Hear from Him. Don't keep standing there and being ridiculous. Hear from the Lord and lead your family well. Wives, you made a mistake. You didn't respond to your husband right. Fall on your face. Hear from the Lord. Have the right kind of big attitude and you're going to be fine. That was better than you responded. It's all right. We can have the shrewdness and the complexity in Christ for us to be extremely bold and extremely quick to repent. We're going to be extremely bold. We're going to presume that we're supposed to go and engage the enemy. And if the Lord shows us something along the way, we are quick to change our tune to match what he's saying. Come on now. We don't even have time to go to Daniel chapter 3. Talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) 
For those of you who are new, we have often and been accused and been found guilty of saying Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. Because he was. They replied, they're standing before the king. King, we're not going to bow down to you. By the way, if you got offended at that, then you don't know us. We love you. We're okay to make some waves here today. We're trying to have a big attitude that allows us to really laugh at the things that are funny. All right? (laughs) They go before before, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's commanding that they bow down. No, we're not going to bow down. Our God is going to save us from the furnace. But even if He does not, quit thinking that your victory is found in whether it works out the way you thought it was going to work out or not. Man, we could love the Lord and do exactly what He says, and it could, it could look like we're getting defeated and every, at every turn. You know what we keep doing? We keep having the same attitude that says, whether He saves me or not is not the point. I want to have the same attitude as that of Christ, who became obedient to death, even death on the cross. If my obedience, if death is required for me to be obedient, then I'll die for Him. Amen. I'll do it. And if it makes me look like a fool to those around me, it makes me look like I missed the mark, but I know that my God is pleased with me, I will stand and I will never bow to that. Come on, somebody say, that's a big attitude. My goodness. We can look at Paul in Acts 14. Don't turn there, we're going we're to keep moving forward. He gets beaten, stoned, and drug outside of the city because they thought he was dead. Talk about a bad day. They didn't drag him outside of the city because they were intending for him to get better outside of the city. They thought he was already dead. They drug what they thought was his corpse outside of the city. Some disciples gather around. Paul gets up, dusts his feet off, and goes back into the town. Bring that on, baby. What kind of attitude you got? Any little difficulty, you start crying out to God, Oh Lord, why have you done this? Why is my life so difficult? How about you dust yourself off? If you've got a breath, then you've got a purpose. Dust yourself off and get back in where God told you to go. You know what he does in the next couple of verses? He's, he's planting elders in churches. He's raising it up. He's strengthening disciples. He's saying, you're going to be persecuted, but be of good cheer. I want to have that same kind of attitude. Somebody say, that's a big attitude. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have. Quit being disturbed, distracted, and defeated by every little thing that comes up. You miss one payment, now you're all worried and upset. Your bank account doesn't look the way you think it ought to. You got one tire blowout, and good Lord help you. Oh Lord, help me! You're coming falling at the altar as if, come on now. Have a big attitude like Paul. Get up. What happened to you today? I was stoned, and not the way that some people in this room have been stoned. 
as the Bible would say, this is what you once were. <laughs> this is what some of you once were. He, people took rocks and beat him over the head until they thought he was dead. Clothes torn, bloodied, bruised, walked right back into the city. You got to have the right kind of attitude to win in this place. We're going to do this together. In Revelation chapter 11, turn there with me real quick. Revelation chapter 11. We have the story of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Let me, let me explain. So we're going to be in, in Revelation chapter 11. Um, we're going to start in verse 7. The two witnesses are able to have fire come from their mouths. They're able to devour their enemies. They're able to shut up the sky so that it might not rain. They're able to turn water to blood. They're able to strike the earth with plagues as often as they want to. Now, come on, you know if you had that power, Justin Treaster. Be like, that dude, he got, he got leprosy right now. Bam! As often as he wanted. You? You didn't take my bid? Frogs. That's what you get. Frogs right there. Bam! Right? As often as they wanted. This is before we start our story. Let's look at verse 7. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beasts came up from the abyss and will attack them and overpower them and kill them, the two witnesses. Their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every tribe, people, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. They think they won. Oh, it gets worse though. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. And will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Happy those two guys are dead day. Mary, the two witnesses are dead day. Yay. They're sending each other gifts because these two men have died and their bodies are laying on the streets for three and a half days. Verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. What kind of attitude do you think these guys had after they had just been raised from the dead? Remember what I told you they could do before this? Yeah, they're standing there now going, um, yeah, terror should strike. Man, if only there were an example in the Bible where people like us were ever raised from the dead. If only there was something on the spiritual inside of us that when that kind of attitude... I want that kind of attitude that the, the, the witnesses had. I want, I want that kind of strength and that kind of power. Let's all turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14. I've got a little bit more for you. I've got a little bit more. Joshua 14 and verse 10. It says this. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses. This is Caleb speaking. 
while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. What an unusual attitude to have. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Well, that sounds like it's the kind of attitude that Christ had. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as He said. Caleb was 85, just as vigorous as ever, and didn't care that there were giants in the land. Come on, somebody say that's a big attitude. Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at verse 2. Come on, somebody say, I want to have a big attitude. It says this, For we also (coughs) have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Isn't this something that we can all say? We've all had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. As we move towards a close here today, you know what we need to do? We need to start understanding. We can't just hear these words and go, yeah, I ought to have a big attitude. Yeah, I ought to have the same. I should have. Boy, it would be nice to have the same attitude that Christ had. What we have here is that they heard it. It was no value because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. We have got to combine the Word of God with our faith. We've got to do something about this. Joy, if you'll put up the the slide there, the very first one. This is the word for faith. The word is pistis. Come on, say that with me. Say pistis. It's to win over. It's to persuade. It's to be fully convinced To have firm persuasion against. You have something that is faith-filled. That the faith-filled part of this is what we must combine the words that we hear with. Let me encourage you, the man who's waiting to act has not been won over. He's not been fully persuaded yet. What I'm talking to you today about having a big attitude and bold leadership is not reality until you begin to act upon it. We need to combine our believing with action. Then you are fully persuaded. Somehow in our day and time we can be fully persuaded without ever showing anything. Without ever doing. That's not this group. That's not how you show a big attitude. Come on, like Caleb. Caleb had faith. Caleb, what did he do? He showed it by his vigor. Come on, somebody even say we needed a little pistis and vigor in our lives. Let's look at another man who was full of pistis and vigor. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Pastor Eric, that was for you, watching by video. Pastor Matthew, for you. I love you guys. 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
Let's look at verse 1. If you can stay with me for a few minutes here, I've got something else for you. We're not, I'm, not completely, I'm not completely done here. I've got something else for you that I think the Lord has for you. 1 Samuel 14 verse 1 says this, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Let's look at verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. On each side there was a cliff. One was called Boses and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other toward the south toward Geba. Now, we're moving towards something here. You know what these cliffs, the reason that they're trying to show you this picture, you can look online and, and type in this passage and they can, you can type in Boses or Senna and you can start seeing the actual pass where it was. You can have pictures of it that shows you. But what is the point here? If you can put up the other slide for me, Joy. Boses is a word that means shining or glory. Senna is a word that means thorn bush. What was Joshua having to traverse? On one side, he had glory. And on the other side, he had suffering. He is walking through a path that in one place is glorious and in another place is full of suffering. And he is having to traverse this part. Boy, isn't that exactly where we are? He understood. He had the right kind of big attitude that said, whether it's suffering or glory, I continue on. I will walk through this. Let's keep going in our passage. Oh, I'm sorry, before we do that. This is a Rashi commentary. This is a Jewish writing. Between the sides with Jonathan sought to cross. Thus it was made. There was a rocky crag from the side between the sides. Come on. Our attitude has to understand that we are between these sides. That these difficulties, that these sufferings that we go through are but light and momentary is what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us. You know why they're light and momentary? Only when you compare them to the eternal glory that's on the other side of this. Because they don't feel light and momentary to us now. They feel like a thorn bush. They're harmful. But we have to have a big attitude that helps us to escape them. In verse 6 of First. Samuel 14. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. We sang today, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Well, we know that the answer is none can stop the Lord Almighty. Verse 7, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Let me explain to you the big attitude that's going on in here. These men understood, Jonathan understood who he was, whose son he was, and what he was put on the planet to do. 
He understood that clearly. So when he saw the enemy, he went, you know what? My presumption is, is that I'm supposed to go and attack the enemy. So he put kind of a, we look at this passage as a fleece before the Lord, right? If they say to come here, then we'll go up and we'll fight them. If they say to stay there, we'll, we'll do it. I think this was the fleece. Lord, we presume that we're supposed to go. This fleece is saying, if they tell us to stay here, then we'll fight them right here. And we'll win right here. If they tell us to come on up, we'll come on up and we'll beat them right there. How are your fleece that you put before the Lord? Don't we have it the opposite? Aren't we asking God to show us when we're supposed to do something? If we're supposed to take a bold action, a step of faith, overcome something... We're looking at it from the point of we're supposed to be inactive until He tells us to do something. What if it's this? What if we have the big attitude that says, I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. This is falling exactly in that realm. Lord, if you want to stop me, I'll be just like Joshua and I will fall flat on my face and stop. But until then, I'm going after this too. Jonathan brought a great victory that day. One that we celebrate. We love this as a church. It shows the need for our brothers. It shows that we should die for our brother's vision. We love the heart and soul. How about you understand it from the perspective of God has given you and wants to give you victory. Why don't you go get it? We serve the God who is at war. He's the one who says, I'm going to give you the promised land. Now go fight for it. He's the one who says, I'm going to fix your marriage. Now go work on it. He's the one that says, I'm going to save your kids. Now go get after it. This is the kind of God that we serve. He wants us to go out and do it. Why? Because He's already told us He's going to be with us. Do you need to be reminded that He's with you? We're doing it right now. Your response must be, Lord, where do we go now? Now that we've received, let us have the same attitude that Christ had. Put First um, Peter four, verse one on the screen. First Peter four one on the screen as we close. <clears throat> it says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. It's almost like Jesus had to cross between Moses and Senna. Between suffering and glory. Because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. Come on, anybody ever just been done with something? I'm done with that. You know what suffering is supposed to produce? By the way, suffering is not the attitude. Suffering is the vehicle to produce the same attitude in you. Stay with me for just a second. Suffering is not... The attitude. It is the vehicle to produce in you the right attitude. I'm suffering. I'm going to have the attitude of suffering. I guess my life is just always going to be difficult. (sighs) Suffering produces the attitude that says I'm done with that. If I've had to do this much suffering, I surely don't want to have to give in to sin after all that suffering. 
Now I don't want to have to suffer the consequences of sin and been through everything I just went through. I want to stand up in victory. Suffering produces the same attitude in us. After Jesus has become obedient even to death on a cross, you know what the same attitude produces in us? Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know what having the same kind of big attitude that Jesus had? It allows you to be exalted over your enemies. It allows you to stand in victory. Would you stand in victory with me today? The Lord is trying to produce in us an attitude adjustment. That our default is not that we're about to get conquered and God help us because we're about to go under. I'm about to drown again today, Pastor. Can you throw me a life preserver? Our attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We've got to have the same kind of big attitude that says, I am victorious because of His strength. I'm going to make myself nothing. I'm going to relinquish everything. I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to humble myself. Why? So that I can feel good about doing those things. No. So that you can produce for the kingdom what you're supposed to produce. You want confidence? Then do what you're supposed to do and watch Him work in your life. The reason that so many of us don't have the confidence is we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're walking around with a defeated attitude. This is not just wishful thinking or having a positive attitude. This is letting the power of the attitude of Christ rest in us. Let's have the right attitude today.